This is the Quantum Biology Podcast, where we break down the practical health applications of this emerging science, starting with healthy light habits and going wherever the quantum superhighway takes us. In this episode, licensed marriage and family counselor turned self-care coach, Heather Crimson, explains why the strategies of quantum health are the missing pieces in the therapeutic model, what it really means to build emotional resilience, and why increasing our energy increases our confidence. We also go into detail about the over-medicalization of mild and moderate depression, why doctors prescribe SSRIs so often, and why regulating neurochemistry with circadian rhythms is a much more effective solution. I loved this conversation. Enjoy. Hi, Heather. Welcome to the Quantum Biology Collective Podcast. I'm really excited to have you. Heather was one of our uh, super early adopters in the Aquatic quantum biology foundations course. And I was so excited when you signed up because your background is in mental health, um, as a therapist, as a psychologist. So tell us what a psychologist or a therapist would get out of learning about quantum biology. Oh my goodness. Where to start first, (laughs) Meredith. I just want to thank you so much for having me. This is, this is means a lot to me to be able to have this platform to share and to also just meet with you because my journey has been about how do I bring this information into the world and how can I reach more people and doing therapy is a very sacred, you know, act to do. And I only get to work with one person at a time. So I needed a bigger venue, bigger platform, and I didn't know quite how to do that from the therapist chair. And then when I saw your training, I thought, oh my goodness, this is going to be, this is the ticket, right? And so I signed up immediately. I knew just that's what I needed to do. So I really have a lot of gratitude for you for doing the work to make this come alive and make make a venue for us to right have some structure and some training. So thank you so much. Um, yeah, now I forgot you. what your question. Appreciate was. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I my question was, and I do so appreciate that. It is this has been like one of the joys of my life to be able to do this. Um, my question was about why um, a mental health professional would want to learn about quantum biology. Or applied quantum biology, I'll say. Right. Once I started, once it dawned on me that I, when I did the dive into the literature, the research and the certification with you, it it, it just became almost overwhelming. The the lack of knowledge, the lack of information in the field of mental health about quantum biology, about natural light and how that impacts our mental health. So of course you can't separate the physical and the mental, but Right. That's very common that we have that bifurcation, unfortunately, like it's, you know, it's mental and then we have to go to the other doctors for the physical when really it's it's a holistic problem. And so once I realized that there is this huge void in all the years, because I've been doing this for over 20 years, just all the people I've seen. I mean, it just really hit me like a ton of bricks, like, oh, my gosh, all these people I've seen could have benefited so much from knowing that they just needed to get out and get morning light, for example, right? And their depression, their anxiety. uh, And so it just felt like I had to do something. Like I have this calling that, that I need to speak up, even if I sound kind of like, you know, off the wall or I, you know, people look at me sideways or even my current clients as my practice has very much, um, I've downsized a lot. So the, the clients I have, I've had for a while, 
Um, so I'm not taking new people, but when I share, I like a little, like if I have an opportunity, I might like throw it out there or with the newer clients who have anxiety and depression, I might've thrown it out there. And you know, the looks I get like, that's interesting. And then it's a nice idea, but it doesn't really sink in. Right. It's so new and so different, even though seasonal affective disorder is kind of the bridge, like, okay, the winter time, not on a flight, whatever. So people can get that, but how to bring them from that idea that's sort of like just oh yeah seasonal affective disorder to no this is everything right this needs to be the foundation of your health and if you aren't if you aren't embracing or exposing yourself to natural light or the principles of quantum biology and all the things about ourselves as electromagnetic beings it's going to compromise your health and that includes your mental health so I just think of all the people I've seen and all the, I have, you know, files and files of charts and back in the paper days, right, before I went all electronic. And I think, oh, wow. And, you know, it's not that I, I feel like I'm remiss. It's that missed opportunity, right? How I wish I could have just at least introduced them because I want to plant the seed. And then if they, they're going to be hearing about it because I can tell just by what I see online, of course, I follow all the quantum biology people. So I have a very, you know, I have a very narrow focus on that, but I can just tell that more and more people are hearing about it. So the work we're doing is it's happening. There's the traction, right? There's traction and momentum and it's starting to multiply. So the more I can talk to people about it, the better, but, but to answer your question, I realized that I was missing a big piece as a clinician because my focus has been mostly about somatic uh, work in therapy, somatic trauma work in particular, and how to use the body as the vehicle to effect change and to help unburden the body with whatever unprocessed emotion, right? The client has been carrying around that is compromising their functioning in their body. So it's, there's a, a lot of overlap there with the somatic work in therapy. And I did a lot of attachment work and there's a lot of biological stuff involved with that too. I just love all that stuff. But even in doing the somatic trauma work and I did spend thousands of dollars on trainings and you know, went to all these specialized trainings with the gurus and whatnot. Even then I felt like there was something missing to really bring them into what I would call a state of high level of health or epic health, right? And I found what it was. It's the quantum biological piece. So what what were the key insights that you had? What okay, if that if those are the pieces that are missing, what are those pieces? Well, so for example, say with the clients, we do some really significant trauma work. They're really releasing a lot of stored energy in the body of that, mm-hmm. whatever it is, fright or grief and whatnot. So, and then they still might feel this malaise. They still might feel not quite as energetic as they'd like to. And I think, well, goodness sakes, like how much more of that, like, you know, deep trauma work do we need to do for them in order to feel joy, in order to feel more at ease in their bodies, in order for them to sleep better. And so once I started to learn about all of the ways that light impacts us, I know their lifestyle because, you know, the report. I can't sleep or I was up watching movies or I can't get up in the morning and, or I'm working indoors all day. Cause I know what they do. And then I think about how, what they're doing is preventing them from being able to feel as joyful, as lighthearted, as confident. Cause I do think that energy 
does come from confidence. I mean, have that reverse. So that confidence comes from energy, right? Like if you don't feel settled and and calm in your body and at ease, I think it just creates a general state of right anxiousness, and you don't feel yeah. as confident. So I hear a lot about that in in the practice over the years, and I want people to feel like it's okay, right? Like everything's okay because, as you know from interviewing so many people and probably your own experience and research, is that when things are off in our bodies our bodies don't feel safe. And that's important to know about. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. That makes complete sense about the energy and the confidence. I keep, I keep bringing this up lately because it's my experience at the moment, but we recently got a puppy Um, and I didn't want to get a puppy for a long time. So I didn't want to do all the work, but then (laughs) I, (laughs) I realized I wasn't spending, we we picked the house that we live in. We rent this house because it's right next to a forest. And I was walking in the forest, like maybe half an hour a week, right? And I'm like, I'm sitting here on the computer all day talking about being outside. <laughs> so I thought, okay, I'll get, if I get a puppy, right? So anyway, the, um, you know, as you're talking, what I'm thinking about is my morning light has gone from, from just like standing outside for a few minutes, standing in front of open windows, to walking at sunrise, because that's when puppies wake up, <laughs> um, outside for a solid 45 minutes to an hour every morning. Um, and yeah, my energy has shifted and I've had a lot of breakthroughs, particularly around confidence and making choices and having tough conversations. And so it's so interesting that you said that wow. because I I had noticed uh, a lot of things improve, but it had, but that connection, that's really interesting. Right. And it's, yes. there was just something of, like, I just felt better. <laughs> that is so fascinating. And that's the, like the main change that's happened is like, it, it is extending my morning sunlight exposure. What a great end one to look at how you felt and what you were able to do before that. And then the, after you've been getting that morning light, that's phenomenal. Yeah. That's, That's cool. So yeah, no, I I connected it to better sleep and feeling better, but the confidence piece or yeah. the just, yeah, just more focused and come be like, no, I can deal with this. I can work through this. I can have this conversation. I can look at these numbers, <laughs> you know, all the stuff right. where it was kind of in a fog. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, having been, um, and I think you have had chronic fatigue. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. I had, you know, I, I in around 2008 or nine, it started to have, you know, um, what's the word ramp up. <laughs> and then I just kept getting more and more. And then around 2010 to 2016 was, well, those were the worst years. And I didn't have the confidence to do anything. It's like, I just was in survival mode. That's that, right. you know, you don't feel safe you don't feel settled in your body. And so all my energy was preserved just for work, right? Like I had to serve my clients. Well, I needed that energy yeah. to show up. But outside of that, it was just like, okay, let's do the cooking and walk the dog and then, you know, and then I'm taking it out. So yeah. how, how sad that makes us depressed and sad. So it, it kind of all goes together. Energy really is the key. And I was always super energetic before that, but I didn't know how to manage my energy. And I didn't know, I thought it was all about food. No, mm-hmm. that was secondary, right? It was all about that, that I was younger for one, and that I was probably outside more, um, but what happened was, is after being in years in therapy for years, I would be in the morning and I would work all day until the evening. So even though I had a flexible schedule, I didn't get that morning light. I was usually in session, right? Or I didn't right. get up early 
So it's a, it's everything. And when, when I think of mental health, confidence and energy, people will do anything to try to feel better, right? They'll, they'll think of food and then they think, well, I'm feeling down. I'm not myself. What's going on. They start to do that self-assessment. They start to talk to their friends. They start to Google on online. And then they Mm -hmm. think maybe I'm depressed, right? Cause I'm low. I'm down. I'm not feeling like I don't have the emotional bandwidth that I used to feeling the range of emotions. I'm not as resilient. And then they think there's something wrong with them. And then they think they need to have medication. Right. So that's where the SSRIs come in because as a therapist, we were, we are trained to assess, right? We have to do the assessment. We have to give the diagnosis. It's a total medical model, which now I'm just like, I don't know. It's too much. (laughs) You know, I don't want to be a part of that anymore because it pathologizes people and it's all driven by that whole, not to get political, right? You know, the whole insurance paradigm, the medical model, and they have mm-hmm. to, they have to follow the protocol. And we are trained. If we don't send them for a medeval, if the symptoms are strong enough, that's like unethical. So wow. it's a real bind. Right. And that's yeah. why I'm sort of phasing out because I don't feel ethically comfortable with that because the whole thing with medication, that's just a whole nother ball of wax. Right. Because right. I look at it as, there's an energy problem in their neurotransmitter function, in their hormonal function. And that is the issue. Unless there's like some serious recent trauma or grief, of course, Mm -hmm. your system is going to have a change in its state energetically. But if it's this sort of ongoing, there hasn't been anything recent, you know, kind of situation, there's something else going on. And that's because of their lifestyle in my opinion. So we'd send them off to get a medeval. That's like standard practice. Right. And I have a big problem with that because as you know, Joanna Moncrief's massive and very well done meta research, you know, literature, she wrote an article, a research about that is that there's no research that shows that SSRIs help or that, that serotonin is actually the cause of depression. There's no research that shows this. And it's more likely that there's a placebo effect, right? If there's any kind of change in someone's mood or affect, it's about the placebo effect and that's how strong it is. So, and they don't really know what's happening with those medications with the SSRIs. And so it's really, I think, very dangerous to go in and playing with our neurochemistry when we don't really even know what's going on. Right. And when the the neurochemistry could likely be balanced out by living a circadian regulated life. Right. But nobody's going to make a lot of money off of that. When you have such a high percentage of the population (laughs) medicated, that's really significant. And so that's where the paradigm shifting comes into play. And I do think that it's like profoundly important that people know that that there's other options. Cause I know there are a lot of people who don't want to get on that path because here's the thing yeah. I've seen, here's the pattern. So they take the medication, mm-hmm. then they have a bunch of side effects. And as you mentioned, I just posted about this online the other day, because there's some pretty serious side effects. Right. And so some people, um, some people have lots of skin issues. Some people have insomnia. Some people have low libido. Some people's affect their emotions are blunted. So then they don't feel much of anything, right? And, or who knows, some people get violent. Some, I've just was listening recently to Kelly Brogan. She said that 
it's correlated with mania and bipolar that the SSRI can contribute to that. And I hadn't heard that before. And I thought, well, that makes total sense. Right. Yeah. Cause what's happening is maybe now if it's, there's a surplus of serotonin, I've also read about that with lights out and TSLA, mm-hmm. but now there's a surplus of serotonin. You can get serotonin syndrome. I've had clients with that. That is not good. Like they are really out of sorts with that. It's dangerous. It's like, there's too so much. So that's a side effect of, F- of SSRIs where they're, it's triggering your body to create too much serotonin. Mm-hmm. That can happen. And what are the, what are the they, symptoms of that? Well, they are, they're manic basically. So they're very okay. jittery They're It's like they're on caffeine overdose. They can't sleep. They're very agitated and they feel really, really bad. It's not a fun thing. <laughs> it's not like, yoo-hoo, I have so much energy. Yeah. It's very, right. very much they're in distress. Yeah. It goes in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It goes bad and it goes sideways. Yeah. So, okay. This is, this is really interesting. So as a therapist, you you see a pattern of people coming in who you wouldn't, you wouldn't clinically classify them with depression. You would see them more in like a depleted state that is leading them to feel like depression. And then on certain types of questionnaires might show up that way. And then as, as a psychologist, you are bound to then refer them to the medical system which will likely encourage them to start taking an SSRI. Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, and your point is that if it's really energy depletion and not full depression, the SSRI is definitely not going to work. And if it is depression, the SSRIs maybe will work. Where where are things with that? <laughs> where- well, I think that it's it's, I don't think we really can be certain is my point. Yeah. And that it could be more of a placebo. Maybe there is some impact on their neurotransmitter function, but I honestly think it's more of a placebo, right? right? And some people take these. I've known people in the field who are therapists who've taken them for 20 years. You know, this is like, yeah. they, they the mindset is, is that there's something wrong with me, mm-hmm. right? Or if this is genetic. I have a whatever. chemical imbalance that I remember. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was a young adult when that came into the vernacular and yes. I was like, Oh, okay. And I spent my whole adult life thinking everyone with everyone who is depressed has a chemical imbalance. Exactly. And so therefore I have to take this forever. But not everyone can just take the one dose of whatever it is, the SSRI, and just coast on that for years. Oftentimes what I've seen with clients is that it be whatever happened in the beginning, which I think is placebo more than anything, they then be find that, oh, it's not working as well. So they go back and then they add something else like, okay, now we're bringing on Wellbutrin or they'll change it up or that it's, and then it's this merry-go-round. So they got more meds or they're always changing the meds and it's kind of a nightmare for the client. Right. And it's this ongoing saga of yeah. how do we get the right medication combination and dose? And the whole time though, nothing else is addressed. So that's my main beef with this. And I think that the unethical piece truly is about that we're not looking at diet. We're not looking at light exposure. We're not looking at all those other things, right? right that could strongly impact the client. It's just, let's put the bandaid on because you're broken. That's the, the paradigm that I really have a problem with. Yes, absolutely. I, I mean, Knowing what we know, the idea of prescribing someone a medication that changes their brain chemistry without first 
regulating their circadian system is just, I mean, it's almost like trying to give a mood stabilizer to a drunk person. Right? <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. You're, you're just piling drugs on top of a system in chaos. Right. Okay. So I'm going to pull up your list here. Um, and go through some of the list. So for everybody listening, um, Heather put this great uh, post on her Instagram, which is at Heather Crimson, H-E-A-T-H-E-R-C-R-I-M-S-O-N, Heather Crimson, like crimson red. Okay, so um, on the left, we have the SSRI column, and on the right, we have the sunlight column. So a side effect of taking SRIs could be suicide. A lot of these things you just mentioned, violent episodes, mania, decreased libido, rashes, insomnia, serotonin syndrome, weight gain, or feeling not being able to have any feelings. Mm -hmm. Now, if, if SSRIs worked as advertised, what are they supposed to do? Well, selective serotonin, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, they're supposed to make you that that you're in your synapses that it prevents the serotonin from being absorbed into the other neurons so you have more serotonin available in your brain basically is the idea because they they say that it's a lack of serotonin that creates depression is their theory which has never been proven right so it's never been proven but that is a theory that was created to support the fact they figured out how to make a drug. Yes, it's exactly <laughs> the way it is. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, serotonin is supposed to make you happy. Well, I'm sure it does. Let's make a, so we have a pill for that. Yes. Or we made a pill for that. So we'll make a theory to go with it. Okay. Um. So, because, you know, as I said, knowing what we know, all of the benefits that are advertised to come from SSRI, we know come from spending a lot of time outside in natural sunlight. Mm-hmm. So the first the first one on your list is balanced of the benefits of sunlight versus SSRIs is balanced hormones. Yeah. So what, how's the sun helping with that? Well, your melatonin and cortisol primarily, right? So if somebody is not sleeping well, because they have, they have, you know, they're inflamed and they have a poor light environment and then they're missing all the morning light and then they get up and they have artificial light exposure and they're drinking coffee or eating sugar and whatnot. They're not getting the light code in their eyes that helps their body to know now is the time we need to have, um, put the melatonin to bed, right. And have some healthy amount of cortisol that's appropriate to get you up and going and feeling good. And like you have the energy to do what you need to do and face the day confidently. And then they feel depressed, you know, so they'll feel down. They're depleted. Things are not in balance. They don't have the energy, right? Not to mention the dopamine isn't coming online to help them feel that sense of um, well-being. So everything's out of balance because what I call it is they're more synchronized to the artificial world than they are to the natural signals of the natural world. So that's how I see it is they just don't have that natural morning energy 
effervescence, ebullience that they need to have, which that's how I, I feel in the morning. I feel really like, woohoo, let's go. You know, what am I going to experience today? What great things can I do today? How many cool people am I going to talk to today? That's the, the way that we should feel in the morning. Yeah. Right. Versus this, ugh, this down, this heavy yeah. that we call depression. Yeah. I mean, there's clinical depression is that you're bedridden. That's severe, right? right. They, they, they like to, the, the, the doctor gurus like to call, categorize this mild, moderate, and severe. Okay. So really most people would qualify for mild depression. <laughs> Live a modern lifestyle, right? Let's be honest. Yes. And I don't, that's, that's where the intersection is here between the, the medical model and our modern lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. You know, right. somebody with severe depression is probably compromised because of their lifestyle, but there's probably a lot more going on, like massive unresolved trauma and, or they're, you know, they've got some sort of toxicity that's like really high. Um, but this whole mild, moderate category is really about that we're not living in a way that supports our biology. Right? We're not synchronizing with the light code at the right times, the natural light code. So in the mornings, if somebody is able to get up and get like you, Meredith, get out and get that morning light consistently, which of course, with the way that our system is with everyone going to work at eight o'clock, unless they're self-employed, right? Um, it's a problem because they're going from home artificial light to car, which filters the light, the windows and the car, you don't get the light code and then they're going into the office. So it's really, really a challenge. And I think that if people knew how much the morning light impacted their physical and mental health, they would find a way. I really believe that people would find a way. I don't think yeah. most people want to sign up for a life of suffering. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And there's there's something about the simplicity of it that people, um, they, I find people sort of disregard, right, the suggestion or the idea of uh, that sunlight going outside could be the answer. They it's kind of like, eh, okay, <laughs> I guess so, whatever. Right. Um what what I hear you saying is that getting consistent morning sunlight is much more effective and much more aligned with I mean it's how we were built mm -hmm. compared yeah. with taking a medication. Exactly. We were built to be programmed by light and we were built to not hate life. <laughs> right. It's like working with our system versus against our system. Right. right. Like antidepressants and antibiotics and antihistamines. It's like we're fighting something in our bodies. Whereas I want to support people or help people to see that you want to work with your body. What is it your body actually needs and wants versus you trying to work against it? Like you're waging a war inside of your body. Yeah. That so, and no, it doesn't sound as, as I don't know the word, but um, like we're waging this battle, like we have to fight the fight and we have to fix the broken things. It's yeah. like, no, let's work in a, it's, it's kind of more um, it's, 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 it's more of a spiritual way, to be honest. That's how I see it. And I think it's hard for people to, to understand that the, it's more about the energy flow. It's more about understanding these subtle ideas about 
um, the, the natural order of the earth, right? And if it's not like a pill, like it's not tangible. It's not tangible. You can go out and you can feel the warmth of the sun, but it's not like looking at a pill. Like this is the solution. I'm looking at the pill. When you're outside, it's too diffuse for people. It's too hard, I think, for people to understand that there's actually, that's that's the quantum aspect, right? Quantum is is hard for a lot of people to understand because it's not tangible. Yes, even though it's yeah. massively impactful to us, right? Like right. people feel emotion very, very easily. And in fact, emotions are so potent that people, there's this term called affect phobia, and books written on how to work with clients with affect phobia because they just don't want to feel any emotions, right? No emotions allowed. <laughs> okay. So affect phobia is a, a clinical term for Absolutely. I'm not interested in having any feelings. Thanks. I'm terrified of my feelings. I'm good. I'm fine. All good. Right. But feelings are energy. So people can understand it from that perspective about the quantum nature of energy, right? And, the, and yeah. so the photons from the sun, the energy of emotions, thoughts are energy. All of that stuff is happening all the time. And because it's not visible and tangible, right, it's harder for us to understand it. And then we tend to either not be interested or dismiss it or not want to go there. You know, we don't want to feel those emotions because they're such potent energy. But that I use as a way to help people understand. Oh, yeah. Energy doesn't impact us, right? We are electromagnetic beings. Our, everything is energy. So that's the gap, how to bridge that gap of helping people understand the power of light, the power of the human resonance, the earth's resonance, that that really does nourish us. And we want to support and work with our natural biology versus trying to um, intervene in a way, right. right? Somewhere along that chemical pathway that's supposed to help us, but really truly will just create more problems. It'll just create more problems. Right. So we've, we're living a lifestyle. And I think anyone listening to this podcast is probably into natural health enough to understand that a lot of chronic illness is created by lifestyle. Right. So that, that's not a new thing to think about, but what we're talking about is our light lifestyle. So our light lifestyle is wreaking havoc with our hormones and the next the next one on your list uh, of benefits of sunlight is um, neurotransmitter function. Mm -hmm. So it's wreaking havoc with our hormones, which is screwing up our neurotransmitters and lowering our energy and all of these other things. And so we keep ourselves in the environment that's causing those problems and then try to solve them by taking an exogenous chemical substance that was created in a lab. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And you have explained what the outcome of that tends to be. <laughs> right. Well, like the morning light, for yeah. example, right. As you know, the backs of your eyes have the melanopsin mm -hmm. receptors. It catches the photons of light, turns them into tryptophan. The tryptophan becomes serotonin. The serotonin becomes melatonin. If we don't have the right light in the morning and then the darkness in the evening to convert the serotonin into melatonin, everything gets mucked up right? Things become imbalanced. You're not able to process things the way they should be. So you may have too much serotonin, not enough melatonin. You need the, the right light codes at the right time of day. doesn't mean you have to be out for hours and hours, but you need enough of the light code for your body to go, okay, this is what I need to do right now right. with this substance. <laughs> and all of that happens in the quantum fashion, which is, you know, instantaneously, that's, that's all the quantum entanglement. That's all the communications going on in your body. 
Whereas that one substance in a pill is intervening at one spot and pretty much just very, it's, it's like barbaric. That's kind of how I look at it. It's very barbaric. It's like using an ax to, you know, chop up a little vegetable, right? Okay. It's like that. So it, it's, there's no finesse in it. You have to support the natural process. So the, the light, getting that natural light, blocking artificial light at night will help things start right from beginning to end. Or it's more like a spiral, right? There's no end. But yeah. keep that process going so that things happen and are balanced, right? Because if you don't get the morning light, then you're not getting... Your body doesn't know, okay, we don't need more of this. We're going to pause that. And we're going to go ahead and work on making, you know, the, the melatonin. Now It doesn't get the signals in order to do the right thing at the right time. Right. So the light controls all of these processes. So what we say to someone is like, you need to get morning sunlight and they hear like, blah, blah, blah. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> But in fact, it's, yeah, it's a life-changing, it's a life-changing habit. And the fact that, cause, and the, the research is all, I mean, the research for all this is there. We, um, Jason was looking at a paper this week that was showing that for, I forget what, it, for, I forget exactly what it was, but it was like for every hour you spend out, they did a longitudinal study. Did you see this one? Like for every hour you spend outside, you reduce your chances of depression later in life or something like that. Oh, I'd like to see that one. You'll have to send it to <laughs> I'll me. Have to, I'll have to find it and I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was very clear. So this is, this is all, you know, this is not theoretical. Like we know all of these things to be true. Absolutely. And um, thanks. That was a really beautiful explanation of, of what the morning light is doing. In fact, I've rearranged my whole business. um, Even though, so I have downsized my practice, which has given me more flexibility to work on the quantum biology business. And also though, I moved all my clients to the afternoon. So I don't even start until one or two and I'm done by five or six. Right. So it's a smaller window, but also that means I can spend, unless I'm doing something like this, I'm outside. I am outside. I'm working outside. I, I mean, luckily this weather here is very moderate so I can be outside and I can have my computer outside and I'm pretty much outside all morning, every day. That's just wow. what I do because I, I really feel it if I'm not getting enough time outside in the morning. And my health is such that I need that level of support. Like maybe people who have, you know, they're way more hardy than I am. Like I've had a lot of health issues. And so I know that I have to get my medicine and that's feet on the earth and I'm out in the light. So even though, unfortunately our summers here are pretty cloudy, which is kind of not so fun (laughs) because I'm right at the ocean. So it's like cloudy and a lot in the summer, I am still getting all the light code. It doesn't matter if there's clouds. I'm not, I maybe not getting as much UVB as I'd like, but I go other places to do that, get a break, Mm -hmm. but I get it at other times of the year, but I'm outside and it means that much to me right? Because I know how I feel when I don't get it. How have you noticed your health changing and your emotional state changing? And, you know, it sounds like making a lot of new decisions about your business and about work. And how have you found all those things since you started this practice of scheduling your work around light instead of the other way around? (laughs) Well, my energy, I mean, it's just, there's so much, it's like night and day, you know, literally night and day. Like before I, I would really have a hard time having the energy to do the things that I want to do. 
and energy shows up with enthusiasm, with motivation, with right excitement, wonder, awe, curiosity. Like I like to live in that space, so I know when I'm not getting enough light because that those those kind of wane, right? I'm like, wait a minute, who am I right now? I'm not my normal self, right? So yeah. I have that zest for life, and that to me, like that really matters to me. Like I have to have joy. And so I've noticed that that's more consistent. And yeah, I have some downtimes for whatever reason I didn't sleep while I'm traveling, you know, traveling's hard on me, but um, I feel like myself. Basically, I feel like myself. I feel way more emotionally resilient. So mm. I can, I can sort of handle more if you will. I don't like that word handle more, but you know, I can yeah. do more. I can embrace more in my life. Cause I like to do a lot of things. Like I'm not a person who was ever good at, like, I'm just going to go do this one job. And then, you know, that's it. Like, ah, <laughs> like I have to have a lot. I feel you on that, Heather. <laughs> right? Like I want to have, I want to be the boss. Like I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. That means I have to do my own business. That means I have to like, you know, there's responsibilities there and you have to be able to hold all that. And it's hard to hold all that if you're depleted. So I can hold a lot more right? Like the things I'm doing now, 10 years ago, I couldn't even imagine, right? right? So being able to have that opening of yourself and engage with the world and also just take care of yourself, that requires a lot of energy. It's all about the energy, baby, right? Yes. So I do whatever I need to do to make sure I'm getting that energy consistently. So I have more emotional resilience. I mean, not to mention, you know, sleep is much better. I used to always want to do stuff at night. I that's how I ended up with chronic fatigue is my cortisol mel and, um, you know, melatonin was inverted. So I would be up, you know, woohoo, like I'm doing all this stuff at 11 o'clock at night. And then I would wake up feeling awful. Now it's like, I don't want to do anything at night. I'm just relaxing. Right. I don't even really read as much as I used to. Yeah. I don't, I haven't watched a movie in years. Like I just don't even care anymore. I try to stay off the screens and stuff like that. Right. And for an hour or two before bed, I'm just kind of hanging out with my dog, my husband and relaxing like they used to do. Yes. Like yeah. They used to do. And then I sleep from nine o'clock and I sleep and I don't even wake up until it's, I wake up naturally, which I hear all the quantum people say, oh, I wake up about an hour before sunrise. <laughs> yeah. I never use an alarm anymore. Right. Yeah. So my sleep was horrible when I had chronic fatigue. I would be up for several hours every mm -hmm. night. And I had really raging histamine issues. Those are much better. Now that mm. is more of a, of a kind of taking time, but the histamine is, there's a lot of like overlap. I don't think people realize with anxiety and histamine, right? And that's also exacerbated during perimenopause and menopause. Like, oh, I had no idea what I was in store for, right. but that's much better. And the more UVB light I get on my belly, especially the, the histamine almost vanishes. It's amazing. Wow. Like I can eat fish chocolate, all the things, right? Bacon, the less UVB light I get, the histamine, it, it's it's a little more of a challenge, but I just, it, but it's nothing like before, nothing. It was really bad. So that's better. Um, I'm actually four years uh, into, I'm postmenopausal now. So the hormones are better, right? Okay. But if I had found this early on, cause I had horrible dysmenorrhea the whole time I was menstruating, which was just yeah. like a nightmare. I'd have to go home from work. It was just awful. I wish I had known about the light because I know that it would have been better. Like, yeah. I just know. So um, otherwise, you know, my skin issue, my skin is better. It's just everything across the board becomes better. So on that meme you were talking about that I did with the using the sunlight as prescribed, here's the side effects. There's no negative. Right. 
if you use it as prescribed, like you're not out there um, when you don't have your skin prepared properly, right? You're, you're not going to burn if you use it as prescribed. That's what I'm talking about. I'm living all that. Right. Yeah. And I can see it. You're telling me how long you've been in practice or your postmenopausal. And I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 You're like amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, and it's like again, we also have those fear of the sun; and it's going to cause wrinkles or whatever. And it's like, I mean, yeah, if I, I did have a phase where I was like out in the in the Florida sun at high noon in August, and I was like, okay, I think I got a few extra wrinkles from that. But generally, <laughs> yeah, I just it, I put on a hat or sit in the shade. It's all, and my skin has, yeah, it's gotten better and better doing these practices. Yeah. If you, we do do them as prescribed, as you said, which would be, okay. So what would that be? So if you had, you have a client come in who fits in, let's say they, they're presenting in a way that they perhaps feel is mild to moderate depression, but seems to, to you to be probably more in the energy depletion category. What would be the sunlight routine that you suggest to them? The routine, the prescription would be to start, I think, with blocking artificial light at night because it's hard to get people up out of bed and wanting to go outside if they don't feel good in the morning. So blocking artificial light at night, it's it's kind of a two-pronged approach, right? The, the front and the back. So the, the nighttime and then the morning is where I focus, right? right. So starting with those two times, but starting at night, because most people hopefully would be willing to wear some blue blocking glasses at night. Mm -hmm. And most people are going to have artificial light on at night, or they're going to have the flat screens on. And, you know, and I get that there's family time and, you know, we're sitting down with your partner to watch something. I get that, but at least protect your eyes. So when I explain to people about how, if they're not sleeping well, if there's not enough melatonin, because the blue light prevents melatonin secretion, right? So they're not going to sleep well. They're not going to self-clean. They're not going to run their cleaning systems of autophagy and apoptosis. So they're going to be inflamed in the morning and they're not going to want to get up. They're not going to feel like going outside. They're just going to kind of get through the morning and get on with the day. So starting at night, right? Blocking the artificial light. And that's $30 to buy a pair of blue blockers from say Midwest Red Light Therapy. Some of my favorite companies. So, and then in the morning, I would say, okay, once you have been doing that, now let's get you out as soon as you can get out there and naked eyes to the sun, right? Or morning light and, and get that morning light exposure for at least five or 10 minutes. Like that's the bare minimum that I would tell somebody that they need to start with. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point too. If mornings are really rough, don't start with the morning. Yeah. Start with the evening. So you clean up your evening, the mornings get a little less rough. Then you add a little morning light, feel a little better. It's easier to get the evenings darker. Yes. <laughs> Just a yes. Virtuous, happy cycle. Yes. Um, okay. So before we um, wrap up, I want to circle back to our conversation about emotions. Okay. Um, and you were talking about emotions being a form of energy. So in addition to counseling people on, uh, you know, how to manage their light environment, could you talk to me about how you counsel people, how to manage strong emotions and what type of energy is it? And when you say like, we feel more emotionally resilient, um, what do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. Great questions. So 
basically I use the the idea of somatic attunement to work on or develop a skill, right? It's more of a practice of understanding that emotions are sensations in your body. So that energy of the emotion, I mean, I don't know exactly what kind of frequency it is, but it's like there are physical sensations in your body and that's how the energy manifests, right? You're feeling like a pinch here, you're feeling flutter, you're feeling panic, you're feeling tightness. Your body is doing all these things and that's what we call emotion. So emotion is like a feeling with a body sensation. So it could be fear, it could be sadness, right? Whatever it is, Mm -hmm. but the body is experiencing all of that. So I always teach people that how to manage or we call it emotional regulation Mm -hmm. is really about befriending your bodily experience because it gets you out of your head because your head is going to get in the way at first, right? Your head's going to say, oh my God, you know, what is this? And I don't want to feel this. And then what we do is we kind of bear down and we have ways of cutting off that emotional frequency. In other words, we try to squelch it, right? We try try to get it to stop because of all of the social conditioning uh, uh, about emotions. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that, oh, I, I just, I wanted to come in to the session today and not to cry. That was my goal. I'm like, well, why are you coming to therapy? Right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I cannot tell you how many times I've heard that. I was going to say, that's probably a good strategy if you're in a meeting at work, but. Yes, exactly. And it's so, because the shame, people have been shamed for being human and it's just Mm -hmm. tragic, right? And so we get all this trapped emotional energy that your body hasn't been able to release through allowing those sensations to work through to completion. They're only, they're ephemeral. They just, it's quick. Right. But the more that we kind of hold our breath, scrunch down, tighten Mm -hmm. our whole body so that it will stop. Right. We don't want it to happen. It stays stuck in there. And I know that that's what creates inflammation because you have these trapped pockets of energy in your body that are stuck there. Mm. Right. And so things can't flow. Your body's Mm. energy systems are compromised because there's all this. And even if people are super healthy, right, they still will start to have some kind of symptoms. Like I have clients who were former, like, you know, like super high level college athletes. And now yeah. they have all this pain because they're like, nope, can't talk about that. Nope, can't go there, yeah. right? Nope, can't figure out how to do this with the emotional piece, right? Not gonna go there. Right. And their bodies get locked up. And so you're more brittle. It's kind of like you snap, right? Or you'll eventually mm-hmm. get some sort of, um, people who have a lot of that will get some sort of chronic disease. It's really sad. Because your body cannot heal itself, right? Your energy isn't flowing, so the body can't do what it needs to do. So somatic attunement, Meredith, is really about, can I just get out of my head for a moment and just notice the sensation in my body and really track it? Hmm. Like I ask clients when I'm doing somatic trauma work, it's kind of a blend of EMDR and somatic experiencing. Okay. And I have them get super granular. Like what exactly do you, how big is this spot of, pain? What kind of pain is it? How deep Mm -hmm. is it? I mean, and they, and so what we're doing though, is we're helping them to stay with the sensation by engaging Mm -hmm. their orbital prefrontal cortex, which is where mindfulness occurs. Okay. So instead of judging it, instead of freaking out about it, they're just curious and they're noticing it. And guess what happens? They're able to stick with that sensation and then it shifts 
right? Mm -hmm. Without them trying to not feel or trying to get rid of it or whatever. So the sensation, and sometimes it moves, sometimes more emotion comes up. That's just really clean, pure emotion. That's more about grief usually for people, right? Yes. We're releasing that unprocessed emotion that's been stored in our body. I don't know if that answered your question. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And then some amazing. So, so the sensation is connected to the emotion that you're working with. Mm -hmm. Well, emotion is sensation and the the body sensation with like, so there's the sensation and then the Mm -hmm. feeling like, so in my stomach, if I have a pit, it's like this hollowness and there's fear. So there's all of that together. Yes. Okay. I I love this. So I just, I'd love to just run through like some, some of the key emotions. So I'm thinking you said that about the pit in the stomach. I'm thinking of, um, you know, I get an email and I, and I read it quickly and I think I've, I've forgotten to do something really important and mm-hmm. now I'm in trouble. And it just like the, it like Uh the bottom drops out, right? Yes. I have ADD. So this is like a common (laughs) fear for me. Yes. Yes. Uh, Right. And it's like the bottom drops out of your stomach and it's like, and it's like, I want to figure out, I want to fix it as quickly as possible so I can stop this feeling. Like what, what's happening with me? What's going, what, from, from your perspective. You see that, how that quantum thing happens instantaneously, mm-hmm. the sense of danger. Uh-oh. Yes. Not safe. See, yes. that's the felt sense in the body, right? That mm-hmm. all of your body systems, even, I mean, probably even your mitochondria, the vagus nerve, right? All of the parts of you, your amygdala, all of it is instantaneously registering not safe. Boom. And that sensation is the response of that. That's how fast the thought it goes into your body, right? So thoughts are frequencies right. and then everything else is a frequency. So it's all happening almost instantaneously. It's it's a nanosecond between, oh shit, the email. Yes, yes you're right. Goes, that is a total quantum right. response. Like a full yeah. body, full mind. Everything is like, <gasps> yes, yes. So it all happens in concert. And that's your body saying, oh, something's not safe, right? So then the instinctual right. response is, I got to fix it. Right. I got to figure out what to do so that I don't have to feel this dread or this. And and the thing is, it happens so quickly that we're not even aware of most yeah. of it, right? We're just aware of something's not right. And I, and I don't know what to do. I got to do something. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I used to, to, I, I'm now able to pause, but I used to just rush into the first thing that came to my mind to fix it. And then I would end up in all these unmanageable situations because I'd be overcommitted and I'd say this and I, cause I would just right. be like, I'll take care of it. I'll do it. Like, well, that's survival right. mode. It was like a, sur- yeah. Okay. So you're in survival mode. The key to preventing that, that lapse, right? Which mm-hmm. is understandable because that's the instinctual response. I got to figure out yeah. how to survive. <laughs> yeah. That makes total sense. However, yeah. it takes such a massive toll on us right? Our yeah. energy expenditure in that whole time frame is massive. So in order to help ourselves preserve our energy and take that pause, which is, it's really just a pause. Mm-hmm. It halts that from that, um, all those things from that cascade of events yes, from playing out fully. And we want that little pause to go, wait, Oh, hold on. Right. Right. Let me just notice what's happening right now. So as soon as you can engage that mindfulness from the orbital prefrontal cortex 
and then get a little bit of space to pay attention to your body and to resource yourself. Resourcing Mm -hmm. is I'm okay. It's okay. I got this. Whatever your phrase is in the moment, I'm safe. Like I've done that a lot because I have a big trauma background, a lot of trauma. And so I'll just be like, I'm safe. It's okay. I got this. Remember all that because we forget how resourceful we are. Look at all the things I've gone through. Like, hello. Like, (laughs) oh yeah, there you are. So (laughs) we have to remember who we are and that we do that by being present in the moment and orienting using our senses. So what I have clients do is I have them turn inward, noticing their physical experience, the actual physical sensations, Mm -hmm. and simultaneously, once they've done that, so that just has to take a few seconds, they want to orient using their senses. Even turning your neck slowly from not like you're really like hurting yourself, but turning Mm -hmm. it all the way to the left and then very slowly scanning your environment to the right, it helps engage a part of your vagus nerve, right? Called the ventral vagal, which is the social Mm -hmm. engagement system versus dorsal vagal, which is where we get to more and more collapse and shut down because we're overwhelmed. So Mm -hmm. even just, you know, turning and looking and scanning your environment helps bring you back into a state of safety. Yeah. And then using smell, using like looking at colors, like where's all the orange right now? Very specifics Mm -hmm. really brings you back into what we call your window of tolerance, Mm -hmm. which is where you can feel and deal at the same time with whatever's happening inside and outside of you versus being dysregulated, which is when you're in survival mode and you're either in ramped up mode, fight or flight or freeze high, right? High, like energy freeze, or you're shutting down, which is more of the depressives, right? And going into full shame and shut down and dorsal vagal, which is like, I can't even cope. And I don't look at me and I don't have a voice. It's bad, right? All of that stuff. Right. Oh, interesting. Um, well, I have so many questions I could ask, but let's, <laughs> I'm going to hop to a different feeling. Um, so th- when a person, let's say we're experiencing joy. Now I have noticed um, over my the course of my adult life that, and this has to do with my particular life experience. It's not universal, but I have noticed that I also trigger that kind of, um, need to, you know, I'm not safe with happy feeling right? with happy feelings, oh, yeah. right? Like I will be in a moment and I will feel the appreciation of that moment and that joy and that like, everything's all right. And like this, there's often I'm learning to ignore it. There's often this crushing counter argument that comes in. Wow. Like, oh, it's not like, like, Oh, well, what about this? What do you have with that? Well, you haven't filed your taxes yet. Right. <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> oh no. All the things come up. Yeah. Right. But I feel, it feels like that joyful energy is probably quite like on a quantum level, probably quite healing. Would you say? Oh, absolutely. And so the practice of learning to, to let that flow and not need to block it or hold on to it with like, okay, I feel happy now. I have to feel happy for forever. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. It's so interesting that you say that. And I'm really glad that you did because as much as we don't want to feel bad, there's some things that happen to us where feeling good isn't safe either. 
right? Yeah. It's very strange. We wouldn't normally think of that as being something that we um, start to get triggered by. Yeah. But there's usually some kind of experience. See, the body remembers everything. So no matter when it happened, pre-verbal, pre-conscious memory, because memory doesn't kick in until anywhere between two and five, right? So you know, it could have been some small thing that happened where your parents were maybe having a struggle in that moment and you were like happy and they're like, Bah, you know, yeah, little things like that. But your body always remembers, like, ooh, that wasn't good to be happy in that moment. Or yeah. whatever combination or you know, uh history events that you've been through. Um, that sometimes can really have a deep impact on us and our body holds that. And I think also the thing that in this society that's really interesting is that we're not really given permission to feel really good. Yeah. It's really sad. I actually have a coach who I just love to pieces. I met her in clients on demand and I've been working with her for several years now. That's all she does is helps people to, give themselves, women, give themselves permission to feel good. <laughs> right? <laughs> great niche. Good for her. It's I amazing. Love that. I yes. Because we're kind of conditioned to have to effort, to struggle, to, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, we cap our joy and it, it's like, no, I have to be working hard and it has to be hard. And no, yeah. That's not really, I think of the, like people way, way back in the day or whatever, they would hunt and they would gather and they'd take care of all the basic stuff. And then they would just like play. We're going to hang out now. We're going to enjoy the sun. We're going to sing. We're going to dance. We're going to have, you know, be in our humanity. And that's our natural state once we're safe. So we got our housing, we got our food, you know, we got the okay. things taken care of. And can I be safe now? But I want people to have that as the norm, not mm-hmm. like I have to effort and hustle and struggle. And then I can take a vacation for two weeks every year. Like, what's that? <laughs> right? Why? Right. So this is to bring it full circle, Meredith. That's mm-hmm. why I'm so passionate about quantum biology, because I think it brings us back into our, our humanity and anchors us and grounds us into our beingness, which is I can go outside and feel the earth under my feet and breathe in the sea air and see the birds and the butterflies and have joy. And that's enough. Right? I don't wow. need to have all the fluff. I don't need to buy anything. I don't need yeah. to make some, you know, fancy vacation or whatever. I mean, that's all fine. But really, it's very simple, as you stated earlier. It's just, can I be in my natural state right now? Yes. Which is always available. Yes. Just like the sunlight is always available. Yes. And so spending that time outside and going outside, especially in the morning to bring it, yeah, to bring it back full circle, the emotional resilience that helps us to feel safe. Mm -hmm. And when we feel safe, we can feel our feelings and then they flow on their way. <laughs> right, they move through us. They're not meant to camp out inside of us. Right. Uh, yeah. Wow. Heather, thank you so much. This was a delightful conversation. Um how can people find you and engage with your with your work around to this? My website is enlightenedmood.com. Instagram is at heather crimson. Those are the best places. Yeah, okay. heather at enlightenedmood.com email. All right. 
Um, and we will also put those links in the show notes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Meredith. Thank Beautiful you so conversation. Okay, thank you. This has been the Quantum Biology Collective Podcast. To find a practitioner who practices from this point of view, visit our directory at quantumbiologycollective.org. If you are a practitioner, definitely take a look at the Applied Quantum Biology Certification, a six-week study of the science of the new human health paradigm and its practical application with your patients and clients. We also love to feature graduates of the program on this very podcast. Until next time, the QBC.